Hello and welcome to Say That, the podcast where your big questions get real answers. My name is Matt King. I'm your host here in the city of Chicago. And joining me here is Glenn Fitzgerald, the president of Mission USA. I'm really concerned about these robot cars. Okay. Okay. They just drive by themselves. Sure. They're taking over. Yeah. Sure. Almost certainly. Also joining us, Jed Brewer, director of Mission USA Productions. Now, are you concerned about the Decepticon brand of robot cars? Which, uh, which uh, I don't know. The, I don't know the name. Because they're robots in disguise. That yeah. Much that's, that's right. For sure. That's right. <laughs> yes, absolutely. Okay. Children of the 80s. Also joining us, Lee Younger, one of the pastors of Christ Community Church, New York, Tennessee. I've made peace with our vehicular overlords. <laughs> sure, welcome them. Well, not only not only are cars driving themselves right. in this crazy upside-down world, yeah. but one thing that's recently been brought to our attention is churches are making movies. Yeah. So, I, I don't know that that's a positive development that we can all celebrate. But yeah. I didn't say it was positive. I just said it was weird. Okay. So we, we uh, I was informed on Facebook by our friend Emily that apparently we're, we're finally ready for the release of the uh, Kurt Cameron Left Behind oh, book series-based oh. movie. Pretty exciting. I thought they already made some of those. They did. They made, yeah, but it's like... This is like still Left Behind? Yeah. Left even more behind? Yeah. Sure. Second Rapture. Okay. Forgot my socks, left behind. Left farther behind. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So we got that. And then we've also got one from a Chicago area megachurch, which is called, and I want to make sure I get this right, The Resurrection of Gavin Stone. Oh, hmm. wow. I will, and I will, I will share something with you, dear listener. I have uh, Googled this trailer so many times. You know, to watch it, not to laugh at it, to watch it and enjoy the cinematography right, and whatnot. Right, right. That, when I type into my uh, ser- into my browser on my uh, smartphone, when I type in resurrection, it autofills to resurrection of Gavin Stone. Yeah. So, can nope. at least go when I was looking for a verse for the bridge, it autofilled to the goofy movie. Now, hey, this is what I'm saying. And, and no spoiler, uh, you know, situation. The movie's not out yet. I don't think we could. Does he die in it and come back from the dead? I don't think so, but that would be a better movie. Okay, so right away, lying. Yeah. Okay. That's a liar movie. It's it's metaphorical. It's art, Glenn. Oh, I see. And on that basis, I declare an opportunity emergency. Whoa. Man, that may be the best kind of emergency. An opportunity? An opportunity. (laughs) You know, the Chinese have the same word for opportunity and emergency. Really? Nope. Okay. (laughs) That's not... True that's, at all. That's not that's not the uh, the widely held. Mi- that's not even the correct widely held misbelief. But back to our opportunity. Is it was it emergency and opportunity? No. Yeah. But here's the deal. There's a chance to make some serious cash here. That's what I'm all about. Because we've talked before. We want to make movies. Sure. Right. We want to make movies about uh, time traveling cyborgs that are out to destroy us. Right. We want to make uh, rom- we want to make romantic movies that I can't remember the plot we pitched of, but I'm sure there was horses and rain involved. Dancing, dancing, dancing horses. The robot cars. Yeah. Robot cars. Pretty. I think they've made several of those movies at this point. Okay. Still, you can't hurt to have another. <laughs> oh, yeah. This is robot if, cars for Jesus, they, people. Yeah, if they made more than one, that must mean it's a thing. So it's a robot true. car that's driving people to church. Whoa! Whoa. <laughs> now we're on to something. I'm feeling it. I it's percolating in here. That's it's right. Percolating. You're welcome. We get we're getting it. Something magical's happening. Okay? Sure, sure, absolutely. <laughs> there's there's some kind of Uber Holy Spirit joke in there, but I can't quite I can't quite nail. It. We'll we'll all work on it. We'll we'll, I'll work on it. I'll, I'll finish we'll work, it. In my we'll head. workshop it. Yeah, yeah. But anyway, so Resurrection of Gavin Stone. Here's the thing. I'm going to give you the. Uh, it's, it's like Herbie the Love Bug, but it's the Holy Spirit absolutely. drives him around. Yeah, I got it. I got it. I got yeah, it. Yeah. Yeah. So here, here's the here's the official IMDb description. Gavin Stone, a washed up. I should do it in the Mutro. Gavin Stone, a former a washed up former child star, is forced to do community service at a local mega church and pretends to be Christian so he can land the part of Jesus in their annual passion play, only to discover that the most important role of his life is far from Hollywood. That's really good. It's wow. not bad. So you, you, you meant. The, the trailer voice. Yeah, the voice. Not oh, the no, actual the, pitch of the movie. The plot description's awful. Yeah. But uh, <laughs> as, as, as we find out here, there's a guy who uh, th- nobody from this church uh, meets him, right. finds out anything about him, evangelizes him anyway. He literally shows up on the church doorstep. Yes. And then gets Jesus. Yes. 
Right. And the real key, but here's where the opportunity lies, because there's weird plots all around. Yep. Yes. Here's where the opportunity lies. We, As I mentioned, I've watched the trailer quite a number of times. <laughs> and it's because you love the, the, the blocking, the cinematography. Sure, it's just there's a lot to learn. Camera work, yeah. That's absolutely right. Lighting. Chromatoning. Here's the thing. So there's we introduced the pastor character in the trailer, because right. of course we do. Sure. Got to have the pastor in there. Total coincidence that this is funded by a megachurch and the uh, the film production. That's right. They started their own production company. There's two people listed on the page. I'm not going to give you specifics here. There's the director, the Hollywood director who runs the whole thing, and the megachurch pastor. Yeah. Let me ask you a question about this now. Sure. Funded by a church. It is. Who's the hero of this movie? Why, that would be the pastor. Wow. Not only is he the hero, he's also the relatable everyman. Mm. Because when we meet the pastor in the trailer, uh, our 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 uh, protagonist Gavin Stone here has doing doing the guy do the community service. So he wanders in and finds the the guy in just the coveralls who's working on the hot water heater right. and says, "I'm here for my community service. Can you point me to the pastor?" And this man looks up from his hard manual labor and just saw the and says, "Oh, I'm the pastor here." Uh-huh. <laughs> At this giant multi-campus megachurch. Right. That paid several million dollars to make a movie. Right. Just, just, the hot just water working here. on the hot water here. Got my wrenches out. Right. Can I help you, young man? It's because the guy who financed the movie fixes mm. water heaters? Yes. yes. I think, Glenn, <laughs> you've stumbled on to my level of thinking, and I think okay. this is where the Say That production crew comes in. All right. It's clear... The movie financiers in Christian movies at this point are megachurches. Yes. Right. And the people who control the purse strings at the megachurches are the megachurch pastors. Right. If you want okay. to go into some uh, details on that, I point you to Mars Hill. Yes. The people who decide how the money gets. You think, oh, there's right. a board, and eh, eh, it's the one dude. Right. Yeah. So we can get some movies made here. Right. If. But we got to have the juicy role. For the pastor character. That's okay. right. Okay, I got a pitch now. Okay. Pitch me. Okay, first of all, here's what we got. We got a, a evil car. Yeah. Robot car. Yes. Uber. Yes. Right? Sure. Yes. Which means Uber. Yes. You know what I mean? Like Uber means like taking over. Yeah, sure. Yeah, yeah, there right. you go. Okay. Possessed by the devil. Oh, okay. I like it. Nice. I'm intrigued. Wow. Kind of a, a Stephen King thing going there. Absolutely right. Yeah. Here's what happens. Pastor calls the Uber. Yeah. You know, got to get to the place. And he gets the devil car. Gets the devil car. Yes. That's right. Well, boom, he's in To be clear, he takes the Uber because he doesn't own a car. Right, exactly. He's right. a he's, simple man of the people. He's a man of the people. But he's got to get to right. the hospital right. to pray yeah. over the people. Right. Got to take the Uber. He's yes. taking the Uber. He gets in it. Boom, possessed. Yes. You got your, you got your, 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 your Damien Omen. You got your. Sure, you're your, talking about an exorcist meets exorcist. Christine kind of thing. Right. Absolutely right. Wow. And he's, you know, casting out demons in the car right. or whatever. But then what happens? Yes. Holy Spirit car. Yes. The one that takes people to church. Right. The church van. Oh, so yes. now we're Mad Maxing it. Yes. We're Mad Maxing it. Okay. Oh my gosh, I just got chilled down my yes, spot right now. Yes. <laughs> okay. Mad Max Damascus Road. Yes. This is what, this is what wow. I'm saying. And they battle it out to the death in a demolition derby style, no holes barred something. I think this is great. Incredible. And I think we can double up on this because, as you may remember, if you've seen the Mad Max Fury Road, there's a point where a guy plays a guitar that shoots fire. Yes. Right. And there's nothing that I think the megachurch worship pastor would enjoy more. Then we got a little part for you in here, Stan. That's right. You get a guitar that shoots some fire. Yeah, that's, that's, that's right. right. Lee, number one, I absolutely promise you there's already a mega church worship leader whose guitar shoots fire. Yes, this is this is understood. <laughs> Without the movie. Number two, so here's my idea. Uh, I just want to pitch you on this. Bring it. You've got a, okay, Planet of the Apes. Yes. Nice. Love it. Love it already. It's, you know, trequel. Right. And then... Um, and then what you've got is a brave. All the, all the humans are bunkered down. They're afraid, you know, to go out and, and face the apes who are taking over the planet. Yep. But you've got the brave megachurch pastor Whoa. who's going to go out and reach them. Yes. Yes. That's yes. what I'm you talking gotta about. You got to get right. those monkeys saved. Monkey evangelist. Yes. Well, here's yes. what. Here's how you do it. I think it's great. Here's the thing. You have your other monkey evangelists, yeah. but they tried. Yeah. Right. They can't figure it out. <laughs> right. They need. An expert. Yeah. Right. They need somebody who knows stuff. Yeah. They need somebody who really gets it. 
And that's when he takes off the sport jacket and he's got the blue offered. And there's the this whole scene where he's rolling up them sleeves. Yeah. Right. And yeah. it's time to show him how it's done. The Rocky right. theme plays that's in the background. Right. People forgot he can do this. He's going back out there. Yeah. Right. Yeah. He's got one last fight left in him. And and here's what it turns out. Yeah. He's pretty darn hairy. Yeah. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. That needs him on secret. their level. That was a secret all along. Exactly right. He didn't know it. <laughs> exactly yeah, the power right. was within him all yes, along. Exactly. He takes his shirt off and they're yeah. like, you know what? Yeah. This is we didn't know yeah. you were hairy like that. Yeah. Boom. Yes. Jesus. Love it. You know. I think it's very good. I think I think here's uh we'll get to Jed's pitch here in a second. But there's it, there's can, no, can just very quickly. Jerry, don't let the juices stop flowing. Lee, Lee referred to this as a treequel, and I assume that's because they were in a tree. Yeah, yes, so, no, okay. it worked yeah, on a, just, yeah, Well, it, there was, it was the third one, and they were in a tree. Right. Lee's working on a lot of levels. That's yes. right. That's the so, thing yeah, I remember. So, just, it, it, so, so yeah. much uh, creative power. I'm glad right. we didn't let it go past. Yeah. The other scene in this trailer, and keep in mind, three-minute trailer, this is another scene in it, um, that I think points us to where we need to go on this. Okay. The, you got to show the scene of the dude in sitting in the pews on Sunday morning. Right. And he doesn't really want to be there and he's just got to be there. But again, 30 minutes, thir- three minute trailer. There's a full 20 seconds of a pan across a full room of people listening and raptured. Yeah. Yeah, wow. that's right. We okay. had three minutes. We got to move story. We got to, and there's real actors in this. We wanted to you know also this. We took 20 seconds out to show people just loving this dude talking. Yeah. Right. So here's what I, here's what I'm talking about. You know, they have like the, the stand-up comedy concert films. Like it's like yeah. Richard Pryor live in Sunset Strip or Louis C.K. and Kevin Hart's done them now. We have that, but it's an hour and a half sermon. But instead of the camera, here's the f- twist. Instead of the camera being on the dude on stage, the camera's on the audience. Yeah. Right. And for 90 straight minutes, they are loving it. Yeah. Right. <laughs> yes. I think we can get that greenlit. Yeah. I, I think we right. can get that paid for tomorrow. Here's your bajillion dollars. Yeah. Pretty sweet, yeah. Absolutely. Well, Jed, Jed, only one—hard uh, to believe—but only one of us has ever uh, written and directed short films. Sure, sure. And that would be uh, Jedrick Brewer. So, what what do you have to bring to bear on this project for us, gentlemen? Here's here's what I'm saying. Imagine, if you will, a park designed to house Jurassic era animals. Oh, a, I like it. A Jurassic park, if you will. That, that sounds. Really believe we have to work okay. on the rights. We may have to go with Mesozoic Park. But it's whatever. a Mesozoic Park. Here's what we've got. We've got right. dinosaurs, y'all. Dinosaurs. Uh, okay. And them dinosaurs is going to get loose. Okay. Well, that's what always happens. I've said it because so nobody times. listens to Glenn. Exactly right. right. Can we put in a scene where just like a thirty second scene where Glenn just runs back, tells him dinosaurs going to get loose, y'all? Yes. But right. nobody listens. We got to have a cameo for Glenn. Don't but... take anything from Liam Neeson's. Right. And dinosaurs are going to get loose. Exactly These are the right. two things we know. These are the rules of cinema. It goes back to Aristotle. Okay, right. now here's the thing. Okay, there's a there's a conflict between the rich, evil, bad guy who doesn't believe in God, y'all. He no. wants to prove there is no right. God. That's why right. he made the Jurassic Park. He's he, going to watch them evolve. He believes in the power of evolution, and he found... <laughs> he doesn't this... really understand how it works, and it take like millions of years. He just thinks like... We'll open it, and then we'll come back Friday, and they'll all be birds. Right. Exactly Ooh, right. <laughs> he finds he finds this mega church pastor, and he brings him to his Mesozoic Park to shame him. Right. Sure. There is no God. Look what right. I am, God. Look what I have done. And of course, right. Glenn runs through and says, "Them, them dinosaurs are going to get loose, y'all. Yeah, get you got, loose. You got to understand. I'm just I've seen it. They before. haven't drug off. <laughs> but of course, the dinosaurs do get loose. Now, here's sure. the thing: the denouement, if you will. Here's what happens: is the pastor, he has to go and explain, he has to contend and right. explain that evolution is a lie. Right. And so ironclad is his logic and his argument and his reasoning that the dinosaurs just cease to be from the weight of his words. <laughs> wow. And fiend. That's, uh, wow. I think, uh, a, I think we've got ourselves a go picture here. I think we do. Yeah. No, I I, think the real concern right. I have right now is what are we going to do with all the cash? <laughs> well, because we're going to make a zillion dollars. Sure. I, I love it. I love everything about it. Um, can I pitch title? Please. Exegesis Extinction. <laughs> wow. Because he exegeted them so hard. Right into extinct. extinction. That's right. Yes. Yeah. No, I think that's. Uh, I think we've got basically multiple pitches. Yeah. Uh, I'd say we. You know, what do we got? Three ideas here. Yeah. I think we hit three different mega churches and just figure out. 
you know, how we're going to make this happen. They're gold, Jerry. Gold. That's right. Look, and I and I'm and I'm sitting on I'm sitting on an option over here for an Indiana Jones style. I'm going to get this kid saved through the archaeological proof of biblical artifacts. Oh, that's nice. Good. That's yeah. solid. That's yeah. solid. Yeah, 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 yeah. Well, I think it's all great. I think in that case, I can declare emergency off, opportunity on. Oh yeah. There is no such thing as the Ark of the Covenant. Oh no, my face is melting. Yeah. You should have believed like I told you. Exactly. <laughs> but in this case, instead of the Nazis opening the Ark and everything going off, right. they just sit there and quietly listen to a 45-minute sermon yeah. about the original Hebrew. Yeah. Like a reconstruction of, you don't understand, the yeah. holies of holies, and you go into the tabernacle. Right. But they right. love it, and it's so good, they just stop being bad. Yeah. <laughs> I think that's really the thing we're going to end up at all of these, is instead of a climactic fight scene or struggle or whatever, it's just a sermon, and then the bad guys go, we shouldn't do bad things now. That's yeah. right. Yeah, that's right. I think it's a genre that's really going to open up to us. <laughs> I think it's very good. And of course, the problem with when we become millionaire Hollywood megachurch producers is, of course, we're going to have to hire some other folks to do Bridgebox because we got to keep putting that under us. But for now, we're going to keep doing that. Jed mm. and Lee are going to keep producing music. Glenn and I are going to put some sermons on it. We're going to get Bible studies. We're going to get some great uh, guest devotionals and stuff for you. So. Every month, missionusa.com slash Bridgewatch for only $8 a month. This month, we're still talking about how can I change the world's fantastic topic. A lot of fun stuff on it. So if you want good stuff in your inbox every month and support the ministry we're doing here in Chicago for only $8 a month, missionusa.com slash Bridgebox. All right, we're going to jump to our first question here. If you have a question for us, you can hang out with us all the way to the end. First question comes in, and it says, Things are evolving in our ministry. We're starting... We've started breaking up the group into smaller discussion groups with each of us leading a different group. And moving forward, we're going to start taking turns sharing our personal testimonies each week. And this is, I should mention, this is again from our friend James, who's doing the prison ministry stuff out there in Colorado, but this also will apply to really anybody who does small group ministry, which is at this point all ministries. But so we're breaking up, giving our personal testimonies. Do you have any advice for sharing my testimony with guys from a distinctly different background than my own? Most of the time, I've done it in the past. It was with people from my own quote-unquote tribe. So, Lee, I'd love to get you to start us off on this, and you have some experience in this at a couple of levels. One is doing doing prison ministry, doing kind of stuff in international stuff, but even just um, talk, you know, being a 30-year-old dude and talking to high school kids about your own experience, all yeah. that's kind of finding a way to um, communicate your own experience across these kind of cultural divides. But even more importantly, and the things that will help for people – communicating your story in a way that sets up what you want to do ministry-wise, which I think is right. a specific skill. So can you talk us through how you approach that? Yeah, I think in, in any room where you sense that you are an outsider or you, you're in, you're just, you're culturally different. You come from a different place. You come from a different understanding. One thing that we do know is whatever your story is with the gospel, we all came from a point of, and Jed said this in the, in the last episode, we all came from a point of need. Yeah. We need to be rescued. <clears throat> Jesus came to rescue us. We have a common heritage in our faith. Whatever the story is culturally or you know, ethnically or anything like that. And our goal in, you know, at, you know, different ages or different whatever, our goal when you get up in any room is you want to get the, the people that you're listening to, you want to help them. You know, whether you're sharing your testimony or you wind up, you know, leading a Bible study or preaching or anything like that, you're trying to help people. You're trying to help people get closer to Jesus or make some changes in their life or whatever. What we want to do is we all want to wind up on the same team. The very worst thing that you can do is, and, and a lot of people don't get this about preaching or teaching Bible study or something like that, is setting up this situation where I'm I'm telling y'all something and y'all need to get it together. Mm. You know, that's the that is not the situation that you want to be in. The situation when you want to be in is I'm up here, everyone's listening, and by the end of this, we're it's all gonna feel like we're on the same end of the rope in tug of war and we're pulling at this thing together. And that's what we want to do. So if if people aren't able to understand who you are or where you're coming from, do you have a sense of why that is? And it, can you um, can you have some specific? If if you're in a small group setting, like exactly like you're describing, do as much question asking and listening as you possibly can, because 
for you to communicate, the first thing that you've got to do is if you want anybody to understand you, you have to understand them. In our ministry, um, you know, like I, I'm a 37 year old dude, but I routinely, I mean, several times a week, am talking to kids that are 15, 16, 17 years old. We come from different neighborhoods. We are completely different ages. They don't have any kids. My whole life is, you know, wife, kids, you know, full-time ministry professional, all that kind of stuff. We shouldn't be able to just hang out and, 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 and talk and for them to understand me as well as we are able to put this thing together. But that's because I spend a ton of time, what we call earning the right to be heard asking questions, listening, spending time with them, hanging out. In your small group situation, this is what you want to do. That's how you can understand what would be the missing piece as you tell your story. Because we all have this common faith, this common heritage in our faith. I was needy. Jesus rescued me, just like he has done with you. So as we get to know each other, as you earn the right to be heard, then our goal is in any room that we walk into, you know, for me, Sometimes it's with high school kids. Sometimes it's with, um, you know, young life staff in a completely different country. Sometimes it's in a prison ministry setting or whatever the situation. By the end of that, the time that I'm sharing, I want us to all feel like we are on the same team. You get me, I get you. We're in this together. Now let's do some work. But that comes from really spending time asking questions, listening, getting to know people, earning the right to be heard, then you know how to speak to them. Then you know how to get on the right team. I think that's really good stuff. And Jed, if I can get you to, if I can get you to kind of pick up on that too, one of the things that we need to do that helps us kind of be on the same team is not, is simplifying when you're in, this goes for teaching really anything, but particularly your own testimony, um, the Christianese, the jargon, the kind of expected um, arc of stuff, you know, that can be helpful when you're with people who have the same experience with you. That can be an easy shortcut on this, but that's the kind of stuff we want to leave behind when we're doing cross-cultural stuff, right? No doubt about it. No doubt about it. It's funny. You can, if you're used to being in Christian cultural stuff, you can use so much jargon and kind of shop talk and whatnot without realizing that's what you're doing. I mean, if you yeah. if you ask someone to summarize, you know, what's your testimony? I mean, I've exaggerated slightly, but you know, sometimes you know, I was just a prodigal headed on the road to perdition until the the Spirit's conviction led me to repentance. Mm. Well, here's the thing about that is all of that's true. Uh, right. That's all. Everything I just said is biblical. Also, if you didn't grow up going to church, you don't understand a word of what I just yeah. said. Right, right, right. Um, uh, I think that, so I think, A, we don't realize how much verbiage we use. B, I think we feel like our testimony means more if it's kind of gussied up one way or another. Either we use a lot of big impressive words or it's really flashy or whatnot, but it really doesn't need to be that way. You know I mean? Yeah. Um, I, I have a, you know, I've done ministry in a variety of contexts and a variety of cross-cultural contexts. Uh, I have, by most people's standards, a super boring testimony. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, and actually, the in terms of me having lived in it, the boringness of it is the whole thing. I had an idea of how my life should work. I pursued that super hard. It sucked really bad. Right. Um, and at a certain point, I realized, well, crap, I don't know how to run my own life. And in that moment, I realized Jesus still loved me, even though I've been giving him the cold shoulder for years and years and years. And he had a plan uh, for a way better life. And I said, all right, well, I'll give that a try. The, there's two things about that. First, um, it's not flashy or exciting, but B, it's actually super relatable because that's kind of everybody's experience. Right. Yeah. I, I had a plan, tried my plan, super didn't work. Um, then, uh, I discovered the Lord cared about me in that moment. He was there for me, even when I wasn't sure I, you know, deserved it. And, and he, he loved me. Well, that is, that's, it's relatable to pretty much anybody. It's providing hope to pretty much anyone. And that provides the key thing. Your testimony isn't about you. It, it, right. it, it isn't about people thinking one way or another about you. It's providing a yeah. vehicle through which they can see what God can do for them. Right. It's a vehicle through which they can understand if God can do for him, he can do for me. Anything that gets in the way of if God can do for him, he can do for me is counterproductive. It's going in the wrong direction. Words they don't understand are counterproductive. Details that cloud the narrative 
counterproductive. You know, things that are just, you know, weird and off-putting, counterproductive. Because the point is not, again, the point is not about you as the person sharing the testimony. The point is, is the listener, do you get that God wants to do for you the thing he's done for me? Right, That's right. the thing that we want to land on. I think you're absolutely right. Glenn, if I can get you to expound on a couple of aspects of that. One is the idea that, um, particularly in, in a prison ministry context, certainly true, in most ministry contexts, if you're the person doing the ministering, sharing your uh, testimony, that we need to be clear about what the strategic purpose of that is, and it's different than if you're sharing it in your small group. And I think that informs the way in which you give it in a couple of ways. And one of the things you definitely want to uh, avoid, and one of the things kind of in the small group, you're trying to seem relatable, which is good, we're all here together, but that's almost in a way of, hey, I was just as bad as y'all. Right, which kind of any any humil any overt humility in a Christian testimony is kind of inherently a humble brag because you're saying right. I used to be, here's how bad I used to be, and now I'm that's super right. not as bad. That's right. And you might think that okay, I'm going to prison. I want to um, exaggerate how bad it was, and mm. I you all y'all wouldn't believe you don't know, but just uh, as both Lee and Jeter pointed to here, kind of the mundaneness of it all can be where the whole thing is. And you've done a lot of prison ministry. What's the kind of stuff that helps you connect with guys, even though your story may be wildly different? Well, I think the the main thing is to recognize, uh, uh, the, as you say, uh, that if your testimony takes the form of, I once was crooked, now I'm straight, That's then a problem. you have a problem and you've lost the whole room. That problem uh, is theological and otherwise. That's right. Um, also, I think there's a tendency, or too much of a tendency, when someone says, will you give your testimony, for people to automatically assume that means how you came to know the Lord, as opposed to how you came to grow, yeah. how you came to uh, make a major change in your Conversion life. Conversion is not necessarily the end of a testimony. That's right. That's definitely not. And and for as, as I think Jed's pointing out, the, the, the testimony... Uh, story isn't that key to you understanding very much because, you know, somebody said eternal life in paradise is a free gift. Do you want it? And I said, uh, yeah. yeah that sounds good. I, well, there's not a lot of meat on that bone. But uh, here's me at a point in my life where I was stuck on stupid. Yep. And I realized this and then I got off it. That's something everybody yeah. can relate to. So, give you a super quick example. Uh, uh, we're talking at our uh, bridge service, the guys coming out of uh, addiction and coming out of uh, jail time and stuff. And one of the things that we're talking about is taking good advice. And as it turns out, addicts are really bad at taking advice because the the basis of being an addict is I can take this heroin. It won't affect me in any negative way. So it'll be fine. But, I've got a system. Yeah. If you think, hey, I could end up ruining my whole life with this, you don't do it. So you, you, you think that, you know... Advice doesn't apply to you. Well, I'm I'm telling this room full of people, I'm actually the same way. I, I, mm-hmm. I tend to be headstrong in thinking I can do whatever I want to do. I can, I can, The consequences won't kick in in my mm-hmm. life. So I tell them a story about, you know, I'd, I'd had uh, uh, a bit of, uh, you know, minor surgery, and I, my sister's a nurse, and she gave me advice, and she said, you know, all these different medications you're taking will get you constipated, so you, you know, just eat some prunes or something like that. Keep everything moving. Uh, it's really important because you don't want to end up with a problem related to that. And I said, sure. And then I decided, I don't need to. That's, that's I'm going to ignore that. I'm just going to ignore it. I know my body. I know my body. I can just, with the power of my mind, overcome sure. that. And then I became horribly, horribly, frighteningly constipated. And that became, uh, you know, an emergency. Situation. Let's, yeah, let's go to the to the the... the pharmacy get the, the pills and whatever and uh, as i told the story at the, at the bridge uh you know i it says take you know one every 24 hours whatever it was and i said you know what if i take two that's for chumps I'm, I'm serious about yeah. this problem so i'm gonna take it seriously so i take two then i get on the freeway get into some traffic and then i start you know getting yeah. into very serious prayer <laughs> lord please help me get you know everybody's laughing but the reason why they're laughing all been there. is that's how that's where they've been. Yeah. I can smoke this heroin and it won't affect me. It's the same exact thinking as I can take two uh, uh, laxatives, get in the car, get on the freeway. It'll be fine. It'll be fine. It, it's easy to kind of laugh at me as a way of laughing at yourself. And I'm bringing my, I'm humiliating myself almost and bringing myself 
humbling myself in reality. That's not a humble brag. There's yeah. no brag to it. It's just I'm in a car rocking back and forth, sweating, and trying to sing hymns and spiritual songs to Jesus. Please, please let me get home. Please let me get home. You know, but it, you know, but that's my testimony. My testimony mm-hmm. is I'm headstrong. I think I could, and I learned my lesson, and I went home, and I called my sister on the phone, and I said, from now on, whenever you tell me whatever it is, I'm going to do exactly what you tell me, and because I had to learn that the hard way, so learn from my mistake and overcome. So, uh, I think if you tell things in that shape, if they have that shape, it's always going to be relatable and it's mm-hmm. always going to help. Yeah, I think you're right. And it's, it's, as far as long as we're talking about cross cultural stuff, it's worth pointing out that in some inner city cultures, particularly African American churches, they will have a built in kind of testimonial time, they'll call it. Right. Which does not mean here's how I got saved. It is right. more of a here's what God's doing in my life yeah, and here's right. something I learned this week. That's so, right. again, this all comes down to um, you're working with good people. Figure out what they mean by testimony, but that if you're doing that every week, that could be a yeah. How does what's a what's a thing from your life that relates to this topic? And uh, there's nothing wrong with. I think the other thing to point out here is that again, the way we tend to think of testimonies and like maybe if it's in a small group environment where you know every week we go around and somebody gives a story or whatever. Some of the idea of that is lots of detail and be unvarnished and you know mm. don't, don't worry about as you're talking about kind of the three act structure here. If I had a problem, right. and then here's where God came in, and here's where I am now. There's nothing wrong with editing, some, not lying, but editing the story down to fit the slot, especially when you're doing ministry mm. stuff. Yeah, you, know, you, don't, right. you don't need to give every grisly detail. You can kind of say, okay, what we're trying to communicate to these guys is that uh, God is open to them even when they make mistakes and. I've That's been right. the kind of person who thought God didn't want me, and then I here's what I learned, and here where I landed. So. That's right. Nothing wrong with kind of customizing those the situation. That's not we. I think we people can have a weird thing, but that's not dishonest or manipulative in any way to kind of uh, customize what you're doing to your situation. We move on to our next question here. It comes in anonymously to our Tumblr inbox, and it says, "Is it okay to wish slash pray to be a better person?" I'm learning a lot about one big weakness of mine, dealing with lying and procrastination. And as I'm battling it, I just really desire to be better in that area. And I know that in the future I'll fail and that's normal and that I will learn more about how messed up I am, et cetera. And maybe, but maybe I should just be wishing to be closer to the Lord instead. But right now I just want to be a better person in this area of my life. And I want to know if that's okay. Any tips or advice? And Jed, can you start us off? I can. I think uh, you're very close to not only something fine, but something really good. And that is to understand the biblical idea of conviction. All right? If you're around Christian stuff a lot, you get a lot of guilt. You did this mm. bad thing, and you are bad for doing it. Yeah. And you should feel bad. Your music is bad, you should feel bad. No doubt. Um, but that's not conviction. And that's not from God. Guilt right. doesn't come from God. And conviction right. is this different thing. And conviction from the Holy Spirit says one very specific thing. And it says... You are better than this. That's right. This way of living, this way of doing, this way of thinking, you are better than this. You know what's interesting about that is it's not saying you can be better than this. It's saying you are mm-hmm. better than this. See, I think what the only thing that's missing in what you're saying is you want to become a better person. And I think the voice of the Lord wants to tell you, to me, you already are mm-hmm. a better person yeah. than this. Your, your actions may not be great, but... That doesn't mean you're a bad person. Absolutely. I want you to live up to the way I see you. Mm -hmm. That's a different thing, Mm -hmm. right? Because on the one, you got to prove something. You got to prove you're not a lazy, lying procrastinator. On the other, you have a God that says, no, I know you. I I know that, you know, under the right circumstances, you are hardworking and you're you're on top of things and whatnot. I want to teach you how to live that life. I want to show you that. I'll give you an example. And this is like the only sport thing in the world that I know, but it's one of my favorite stories. So there's a guy named Dennis Rodman who's one of the most famous basketball players of all time. And he's an unbelievable, unbelievable basketball player. And he was working the overnight shift at an airport in Texas as a baggage handler when he was in his late teens and early 20s. Um, A guy found him, spotted him, recruited him to play a certain amount of collegiate ball, and things went from there. Dennis Rodman, it's not that he could someday be a good basketball player. He, he had all that stuff built into him already. He had to live into it. He, he mm. had to, to become that. Um, but that potential, all of that was there. God sees who you, God sees the real you. God sees the you that you can be as you make these changes. And this is the thing, we see that about you too. The, the people that love you see that about you too. I have a suspicion, and my suspicion is this. 
I think you've had people in your life tell you that you're lazy and a liar and a procrastinator, mm. and you've lived down to those expectations. Mm. Right. Yeah. I think Dennis Rodman had people tell him, you're good for nothing. The mm. best you can hope for is to go work at the airport. And the thing is, we have a way of living to the expectations that have been put on us. We see better than that in you. God sees better than that in you. And that sense of conviction from the Holy Spirit that there is something better in in you. We want you to live fully into that because there's an amazing life that waits on the other side. It's absolutely right. Nobody email in and tell Jed about other things Dennis Rodman did. He doesn't need to know that. Don't <laughs> ruin the story. Don't ruin the magic. Right. That's Just let right. it exist as it is. Like we're talking about testimonies. That's, that's right. a particular arc of Absolutely. Dennis Rodman's life. That's right. That taught Jed something. That's good. And Glenn, if I can get you to kind of pick up on this, there's, I think, exactly where Jed left off is right that I think this has the ring of another one of our friends who's been told that the way they're doing stuff isn't quite uh, feelings-tastic enough. Mm-hmm. Like, what, you have this one practical problem that's wrecking your whole life and you feel bad about, and mm-hmm. you want to, like, fix that? You think Jesus is happy with that? You should right. want to get up in the morning with <laughs> right. a cup of coffee and just uh, be in his presence. Right, right, right. And right. that's not really the way of being close to the Lord in a functional walk looks like. I think, as Jed's pointing out, our friend with the question here is pretty close to what that actually is, yeah. right? That's right, and I really want to pick up where Jed left off. I think the the main thing for us to focus on here is that uh, I'm what when I listen to what you're saying here, there's a sense of orienting by the negative. Yeah, I think that's part of what we're talking about here is that you have a, a way of looking at your situation and saying, okay, in what ways do I suck? Yeah. And then I got to do less of that. Yeah. And that's what being close to Jesus is all about. Yeah. Right. Uh, it, that shouldn't sound right when I say it out loud, because it's not. I want to fix something that's wrong in my life by God's power and love. How am I a jerk? That's yeah. right. That's, uh, you know, uh, in the uh, addiction uh, circles that we run in, we deal with people who are fighting addiction— they use a phrase. Yes, of, the fighting addiction circles are slightly different than the addiction circles. Yeah, that's that's right. Uh, they use a phrase uh, uh, clinging to the wreckage yeah. and finding mm. the fear, and that those, those are bad. <laughs> those are bad. Uh, just so you know, it, you can probably tell by the sound of them. But that's the idea of I, as I improve, uh, as I get over an addiction, in in, in their case. There's a tendency to say, okay, what should I be afraid of next? I don't have to be afraid of this now. What's the next thing I should be afraid of? And constantly orienting by what is the creeping doom that's coming mm. to take me out? Uh, what is the thing about me that I should feel horrible about and that I should, you know, whatever have you? Uh, we have to get out of that thinking. I think moving forward, it, this is about setting yourself up to succeed, you know, mm. that. Because it, mm. if we're going to try and get out of that negative mindset of what what's the terrible thing about me that I need to do less of, we're we're not going to find success. Really, we're just yeah. less of a jerk. That's all. That's not succeeding in any yeah. way. I think we set ourselves up to succeed by defining a reachable short-term goal. Say, yeah. this is my goal for this week. This is what I'm going to set out to do. Right. If you do that. Uh, then I need you to figure out and build in what your c- celebration is yes. of successfully completing that goal. Yeah. So if I do the if I do this 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 and this, then I go to my favorite ice cream place or I right. go get a go hot, movies whatever it is. You have your reward for what that is, so that you move from positive to positive to positive in every step of this process. That's our goal for you. I think that's absolutely right. I believe if I can get you to uh, tag us out on this. I think one of the uh, – we're saying all of this is moving in a very positive direction. I think the one potential landmine right. here is making sure we have clearly defined what you mean by be a better person. There's a way in which your prayer life being based around, quote-unquote, being a better person could be problematic. I don't think that's what our friend here is driving at, but just just for the sake of getting a rounded answer here, let's let's look at what that would be and why that would be a problem. For sure. And I think to start out, I'd love to go back to something Jed said earlier when he was talking about in the, in the midst of the Dennis Rodman kind of conversation is if if a lot of this is coming from external sources yep. in your life, you know, so if you have a lot of negativity coming into your life from other people, 
you just suck and let me count the ways. Um, You know, that is not a great place to start your, um, you know, uh, everybody who hates me, uh, everybody who's down on me, tell me all the things that you see in me that suck. And then I will start to figure out what it would mean in your definition for me to be a better person. This is obviously not the way that you want them to navigate making changes in your life. On the other hand, like Jed's saying, if it's if this is the conviction of the Holy Spirit, and 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 we talk about this a lot, that the way that you want to make changes in your life is not try to change everything in your life wholesale, but look at what are the things that the Lord is revealing to me right now. What is the one thing that He's kind of just kind of poking that this is the thing that we want to be working on. Yeah. This is the thing we want to be chipping away at. It, it's not that if I get rid of these sins in my life, then I will be a, you know, a certified better person. I'll get a certificate in the mail and now I'll be closer to the Lord. The thing is, Jesus died to pay for all of your sin, all of it. Um, when you accepted Jesus, you got a pardon and a righteousness for everything for the rest of your life. It's all covered, all finished all gone. And in that in that transaction, he says, and I am with you always to the end of the earth. Yeah. You cannot get rid of me. You actually don't get closer to the Lord in that sense if you get rid of all your sins. And we're not going to get rid of all of these things before, you know, before we before our life is over. And so th- there's a there's a sense in which people can look at, well, if I just if I get rid of this, then I'll be a better person. Then I'll be closer to the Lord. What I would love love to do is, this is not a bad desire to say, I've noticed this thing in my life. I want to get better at this. That's a great thing. Mm-hmm. And I think the number one question we want to ask next is, why? Yeah. Why do we want to do this? Is it because you know, so-and-so is always chirping about it in your ear because they have a bad attitude about your life and about you. And by the way, if you have somebody in your life like that, nine times out of 10, they've got a really crappy situation that they're not happy with and they're taking it out on you. And the other thing that we want to look at is, now, do we want to make this change because I really sense that this is a thing that's holding back a lot of my relationships. That's a great reason to make that change. Or I want to make this change in my life because this keeps running me into problems in my job. Um, you know, the procrastination or whatever, or the lying is holding back my relationships. Procrastination is holding back my work. And I feel like the Lord keeps bringing this up yeah. when I'm praying through some stuff because, and and it's exactly as Jed said, because the Lord has this awesome life in store for you. It's not that he's just looking at you like, you know, I really wish you'd get rid of this because I'm sick and tired of it. No, Jesus paid for all of that stuff. What he wants for you is a richer, fuller life. So as you're looking at what changes do I want to make? Let's ask the why question. Why do we want to do that? Is it because the Lord's leading us there because he wants a fuller life for us? Then let's start working on it. Exactly as Glenn said. Amen. The strategy, tactics, and a plan for celebration. Now we then, then you've got all of this moving in the right direction with the right motivator. No doubt. I think that's no absolutely right. That's a very good word. I think I can uh, I can personally speak on some level of experience to particularly the problems you gave, which I think implies and uh, suggests a certain amount of what Lee's talking about there. Certainly, if your answer, if your thinking is, I want to pray that I can be a better person so that I am super awesome and don't need other people and don't need salvation and don't need help, that's super problematic, and that's going to lead to some very bad places. I would guess, from the particular combination of procrastination and lying, again, speaking from experience— Part of what you're saying is, I need to be better in this because this is killing me. Yeah, right. This is not fun. Mm-hmm. This is kind of a super bummer. I, uh, I imagine there's some people listening right to this. Uh, these were definitely big problems for me. Like in, uh, I don't know, college. Mm-hmm. The first time I went to college, I used that specifically because there were a couple. So when you get into, I procrastinate on a thing, and then I got to lie my way out of it, and it's a whole, whole self defeating cycle. That's there's nothing wrong with wanting to fix something that is harming your life. As Glenn talks about, you know, we spend a lot of time working with people in addiction, working with people with uh, backgrounds, and sometimes, not often, because they don't get invited back to the bridge for a second time, people say, you know, your problem really isn't your addiction. Your problem is sin. You're a sin addict. Right. Yeah, Yeah. you got it closer to the Lord, and then then sin will be taken care of, then you won't want to do crack anymore. Not the way crack works, friend. Yeah, that's right. If you, f- I promise you, Jesus is on board with you focusing on not doing something that's ruining your life. Right. Yep. 
It's yeah. that's part as as I as we kind of start out here. That's an important part of getting closer to the Lord. It's, that's not yeah. a ethereal feelings based kind of just in general. I well, I was far from Him yesterday, and now I feel close to Him. No, you get closer to the Lord by growing in your walk, and you do that by removing obstacles, Glenn. Right. Um, it's kind of one of Glenn's kind of foundational ministry principles for us in Chicago is that the Holy Spirit's drawing all people to himself. Our job as people in ministry is to remove obstacles. The problem, right. I think this goes to what I wrote in the blog post about this question, but I think it goes speaks to a lot of the stuff Lee was talking about there. People's problem, I think, is rarely motivation. Right. And there's a whole lot of Christian stuff and books and sermon yeah. series and uh Beautiful posts with quotes and scrolly texts over sunsets for some reason. Mm-hmm. Sunsets are very inspirational, y'all. Yeah, okay. But the the idea is you're not motivated enough. If you were right. more motivated, if you wanted it more, you would be awesome. Right. Which that is the negative side, as Lee's talking about there. If you if your goal is just to be like a more awesome person, that's kind of that's not gonna get us anywhere. Right. I think motivation is really the problem. It's that people are motivated, they want to do better, who doesn't want to have a better life, then they hit obstacles. Right. This is what causes right. the problem. Right. right. When your when your prayer life is based around overcoming and removing obstacles, people can get into a weird way of, well, oh, that seems like selfish and that seems achievement based. I want to be better at this, but that is what it means to grow closer to the Lord. That's how you involve in that process is by overcoming the obstacles that are kind of in your life. There's nothing wrong with that. It's a, actually a very healthy way to approach your walk in your prayer life. All right, move on to our final question here. It comes in anonymously to our Tumblr inbox, and it says, I am poor and my girlfriend is rich. Speaking of movie pitches, sure, yeah, I, feel like, I, feel like that's, I feel like it's been done, but I feel like yeah. we can put a take on it. Rich girlfriend. Sure. How do I get over feelings of insecurity? To give some more detail, I'm a doctoral student or doctorate student. You're the one who's going to be a doctor. I don't know how, but he wrote doctorate student. I'm going with that. In a field that is highly competitive and might not make much money after graduation in academia anyway. My girlfriend is easily making a lot of money in her job. We want to get married soon, but when it comes to money matters, I feel inadequate and she feels pressured to make most, if not all of our household income. What do we do? And Glenn, why don't you start us off? You're totally right. Uh, dump this gal and get a poor gal instead. Oh, it's a great idea. If you have a question for us, say that podcast at <laughs> gmail.com. The British <laughs> I just said it out loud so you could hear how totally ridiculous that sounds. Uh, you, you say you know you want to get over insecurity, and I I, I actually think that's part of the first step. Yep. Is is yeah. really the uh, here's the the thing that I see with insecurity is it has a weird way of setting up a premise. And then letting you finish the other half of that. Yes. Uh, what do you think's going to happen if this beautiful woman who loves you makes more money than you? Oh. I never thought You're... of it like that, insecurity. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You say, well, probably I'll be less of a man. That's right. You'll probably be... so. Sure. There. You... Let's go with that. You know. Good idea. Yeah. Well, it's a very good point. I think it does. It's worth pointing out. It does speak to um, a lot of sharpness on our question askers' part of. Going that next level under and not, as we talked about a little bit last episode, the problem here is not that you don't make much money and your girlfriend makes a lot of money. Right. The problem is you are insecure about yes. that. That's so exactly they have right. yes. effectively identified that, which makes it a lot easier for us to help. So thank you for helping us, question asker. Uh, absolutely right. Uh, the, the truth is uh, this is at a foundation a unbiblical view of marriage and it's an unbiblical view of your role in this marriage your the 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 least significant the least important thing you could do in a marital situation is to provide all the household income that's you haven't begun to be a good husband yet off of that lots of people with lots of money and not good marriages imagine that can't think of any famous ones at the moment nothing comes to mind Here's the thing. Uh, the biblical view of marriage is one flesh. That means you take everything you've got and everything she's got and you put it all in one great big pile. Uh, this means that uh, you have one budget, you have one bank account. It means every decision is made as a group, as a team, about yeah. this uh, this large pile of money. It. it, it that means you both have a 50-50. Saying this thing, it means you both come to this uh, as equals in it. Uh, the Lord may be calling you to a position where he's expecting you to 
hear from him and then represent that to the to that household. But that still doesn't mean you have uh, more importance or you know you had less importance uh, because of less money. Uh, the I I have a frightening suspicion that like our previous question, someone may have given you yeah. this worldview and mm-hmm. you're you're mm-hmm. struggling to get out from underneath it. Uh, you need to understand this is not how marriage works. Yep. Yes. Uh, you need to look at. Am I able to be emotionally supportive of my wife? Am I able to nurture my wife? I think the best thing a man can do for everyone under his roof is to put all of their lives on the launching pad and equip them to do amazing things. If you have a different view of that, if you have the view that you are the one on the launching pad doing amazing things, and everybody's got to get behind dad and make dad the hero of the story and whatever that's that, not good. That's not good. It's not biblical. This is not how it goes. Uh, you know, w- we have to recognize uh, this is about being servants where we work together to serve as one team. Mm-hmm. And I'll let these other guys get into the nuts and bolts of that. Uh, but to recognize this insecurity about this stuff is really based on a model that just does not work. I think you're absolutely right. Lee, if I can get you to kind of pick up the ball right there, I think Glenn is absolutely right that we need to, to make sure we have a proper understanding of how marriage works. But in a larger Christian context, even to go a little deeper on this, I think in order to get that perspective on how money works within a Christian marriage, we have to make sure we're, per- we're correctly understanding how Christians should view money and uh, in a in the last episode, kind of Jed was talking about what books can and can't do. I think it's important to understand yeah. here things money can give you and things it can't, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, th- this this whole thing stems, and I think Glenn's exactly right. You you heard this. This was this is a worldview that was put upon you. But the the thing is, and and a lot of people are in it. A lot of people are on this. But money, we need to understand what money is for. And what it's not for, what money can do, and what it cannot do. Um, money cannot; it cannot give you any worth. Right. It doesn't say that you are worth something. It doesn't determine who's cool. It doesn't determine who's better. It doesn't determine who's more fit, who's more amazing. Anything. Here's what money can do: money can buy things. That's what it does. That's that's what it's for. You need some. It, you're in the world, you need some money. And here's the deal is, the Lord has some very specific opinions about the money that you have. You, the, the money that you make, the money that you have, the ability, your ability to work, the connections that you have, the job that you have, all of that stuff comes to you as a gift from the Lord. Yeah. And He has an opinion about how He wants you to use it. And if you understand that you can't get your worth from money. And then you also understand this deeper thing that Glenn is saying about marriage, that marriage is a teamwork. This is a team effort. And we put our resources and ourselves and our energy and our our gifts and our talents and ourselves together. And then we submit all of that to the Lord and say, now what could you do with us? And what could you do with these resources? Dude, you could have so much fun. I mean, so much fun. There's so such cool stuff that the Lord will want to uh, to allow you to do together as a team, allow you to do together as a team with your money, the stuff you could support, the stuff that you could enable, move forward, empower. I mean, you could have so much fun, but you can't have any fun at all in the kingdom with your money, with your energy, with your resources as a team, as a married couple, if you think that the amount of money that you make somehow determines your worth. And we have to start there because if you if you understand that my worth comes from the fact that I am a child of God for whom Jesus gave his life. Mm-hmm. Therefore I have infinite value in the eyes of God. No one can change that. No one can alter that. No one can take that away. That's the foundation of my worth. And when I understand that, and then I realize money is for buying things. The Lord has given me the ability to work. He has given me some money. He has has enabled us 
to, uh, he's given us this as a resource and he's got some really, really cool stuff that he wants us to do as a part of the kingdom, partnering with ministries, being a part of stuff, being on the front lines with stuff, with these resources, with this money, man, you can have so much fun, but we got to start there with what money can do and what it can't do. Mm-hmm. That's a really fantastic perspective. And Chad, if I can get you to pick up with this, I think we, t- we talk a lot on that. We've said many times on the show that if you talk to professional marriage counselors, they'll tell you that the, the two biggest sticking points when it comes to marriage are sex and money. Mm-hmm. However, it, it's worth pointing out that those are not things that uh, you get married and then you get a weird idea about. These yeah. are often things people carry weird <laughs> preconceived notions about into marriage. So mm-hmm. in, in the interest of answering our question, friend, about, you know, how do I kill this insecurity? How do we how do we work on insecurity specifically with the eye towards, I want this to not affect my relationship? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's a great question. And dude, thanks for writing in. I'm sorry that you're struggling with this. Um, I, I, I feel you. I think part of the answer to dealing really with any insecurity is deciding what reality is and insisting on living according to reality. Mm-hmm. Right. You know, I mean, there, there's a crossover there with dealing with addiction. One of the things that addicts talk about a lot is uh, people in addiction recovery is the idea of facing life on life's terms. Um, you know, it won't kill me to look at reality as it is. I can I can do that. And the funny thing about dealing with insecurity is there's actually a huge crossover on that. You know, I mean, because insecurity paints a false reality. Uh, is is what it does. It it creates a, a fictional world for you to live in. And so part of moving past it is declaring and insisting on this is the world that we actually live in. Mm-hmm. So there are a few things on that. That means waking up tomorrow because this is kind of an everyday thing. Is uh, dealing with insecurity is not a one-time thing, you know. I dealt with it Thursday, and now it's done. Sure. It doesn't, <laughs> doesn't quite work the way. It's it's getting up every day and declaring at least the following to yourself. My worth and my net worth have nothing to do with each other. Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, the strength of my marriage, uh, my value to my wife, has nothing to do with my paycheck. God has work for the team that is this marriage to do. He has work for us to do. The money that we have, regardless of who makes it, is there to support the team as the team does the work God has for us to do. These are the things that are true about money. Anything that conflicts or points in a different direction than those statements, we are considering false and rejecting no matter how much we feel it may be true. Like, one of the things that... To, to pull back for money for a second, one of the things you're going to face in this relationship in marriage as you move forward, because everybody has insecurities and, and everybody has weird hangups, is you need to be able to have your wife tell you, this is not an issue and I don't have a concern about it. I know you don't feel like that's true. I'm telling you it is. I need you to go with that. Right. Let me say that again. Your wife needs to be able to say to you, whether it's about money or something else, I am not concerned about this issue. I don't have a a negative opinion about you in regards to this issue. I know your feelings say opposite to that. I need you to believe the words I am saying to you right now and have that be the authoritative answer Mm. on this. Mm. Whether it's money or something else, we need to have a relationship where we take our spouse at their word. Yeah. Um, Yes. You you say uh, that she feels pressured to make most of, if not all the money in the household. Has she told you that? Right. Or are your insecurities telling you that? And if she has told you that, is she telling you about a pressure she feels, or is she telling you about a issue she has with you? Because exactly. there were different things. Exactly right. right. Exactly right. In other words, it would be one thing if your wife hated her job, hated her career, said that the thing I want more than anything else is to is to just be a social worker. It makes almost no money. Uh, you know, I got into this because it seemed like the right idea and it makes a lot of money, but I hate it and it's terrible and it's no good and I don't want to do that. And it feels like if you would just get a better job, then I could do the thing I really care about. That would be one situation. That's something where there's a lot of ins, a lot of outs. We could look at it. 
I don't think that's what you're describing. I don't get the sense from your question that that's what you're what you're describing. What it sounds like is your wife has a career that if you're a doctoral student, y'all are not in your early 20s. So your wife has a career that she's established in. She's probably been doing for a minute. Your your wife to be. You have a career, functionally speaking, that you are established in that you that you've been doing for a minute. And we're trying to find a way that something that can be a really beautiful situation. We're trying to find the fear. We're we're mm-hmm. we're trying to to cling to to the wreckage. Instead of that, we need to define reality. Um, we need to declare that to ourselves daily. This is what money is. This is what money isn't. This is the way that we look at money. Then this is the key thing. We need to add in what Lee is talking about and say, what is the mission of this team and how do we get on that? Mm-hmm, the right. number one thing that insecurity loves is a vacuum mm-hmm. in which it may pitch its obsessive thoughts. Mm-hmm. There are a lot of people who are insecure about the idea of dating and relationships and asking someone out. If you say, I'm not going to be insecure about that, I'm going to, you know, here's reality, I'm going to live in light of that, part of that means now I must go and ask someone out. Right. Because if I try and just insist on the truth in this vacuum of absence of action, you will fail. Right. For sure. For, and that's what insecurity is counting on. Mm-hmm. It's counting on that you will insist that certain things are true, but then change nothing else. Right. It, it will win that wrestling match. That's a guarantee. You declare X, Y, and Z are true. A, B, and C are untrue. Therefore, these are the concrete steps that we are taking based on that. Because the true, true thing that defeats insecurity is positive momentum. Right. Yeah. That's the thing that actually takes insecurity down. Yeah. If you guys get on the same page and you've pulled your resources and you're doing a thing and you're accomplishing something, there's a ministry that you're mm-hmm. helping or a project mm-hmm. that you believe in that you're doing, an initiative that you're taking on and the money is going, it's fueling that, it's a whole thing. Insecurity has no place to be in that. Mm-hmm. You, mm-hmm. You've replaced it with momentum. You've replaced it with promise. You've replaced it with all kinds of good stuff. But we have to get in motion for that to happen. We have to talk to each other and get on the same page both about money and about the things God is calling us to do in order to do that. And here's the great news. If you do that, if you get on the same page, get a mission, get momentum, not only will you be answering this money problem, you will be building the foundation of an unbelievable Christian marriage. You take this whole weakness and turn it into a strength. I think you're absolutely right. I think it comes down to a very important point you're making there, which is a difference between kind of actively taking on insecurity and kind of something that's not going to work as well. The Your point about declaring something that's true and then insisting on that is true. Yeah. That can defeat insecurity hoping that something is true doesn't turns out to be true that is a, a battlefield for insecurity that's kind of a that's a go-to so in order to insist that something's true what are the easiest ways to do that and don't this this is not a name it claim it this, but one of the th- easiest ways you can insist something is true is to start acting like it's true yes if you are going to insist that you are an adequate person that what you bring to this relationship is more than enough and you're doing what god needs you to do then you act like that. Yes, live that life. Yeah, just act as if someone who was totally bringing their A-game to a relationship would act. That could mean, you know, that could mean, well, she put most of the money that we put as a down payment on our first house, yes, she brought to that, but I'm going to build the deck because I like that stuff. Or it could mean I, I cook the meal for the thing or I'm publishing a book or just whatever it is, grab a hold of what you have and insist that that is enough. Also, you have an attractive gal yeah. That uh, makes some money. Yep. And wants to, you know, uh, get with you. Yeah. That's good. Yes. Sure. So here's an idea. Yeah. Be thankful. Yes. Like say, thank you, Jesus. Yeah. For this. Right. Because it is good. Find yeah. the win. That might uh, defeat a certain amount of insecurity. And here's a marriage pro tip. Thank your wife for the job she works. This is what yep. I'm saying. Oh, no. Celebrate. This yeah. is cheerleader Word. time. Well, dude, I, this is, again, this is the thing about insecurity. It puts all the focus on you. Yeah. Insecurity will keep you from ever saying these words. Honey, thank you for working so hard at that job. Well, I'm just yeah, so thankful you're crushing for it. I'm so proud of you. You're I'm doing so amazing. about what you're doing. Yeah, exactly. This is what marriage is supposed to be. If you're married and you're not saying those words to your spouse, start, start saying them. Start, do it right now. now. Yeah. Well, th- right. doesn't this whole situation, I think, and again, I think it's worth pointing out that our friend around the question is doing a very good job in moving forward. And this is exactly yeah. the kind of thing you need to be doing when you're moving towards getting married is finding these kind of uh, structural problems and insecurities and working on ways, getting advice on ways to come out. You're doing exactly everything you need to do to be set up for success. But if someone who is a doctor, doctorate student can feel insecure yeah. about maybe they're not smart enough bringing it off the table, 
there's someone else at this college who's working on their master's degree yeah. who has insecurities and thinks it'll, it'll all be fine once I'm a doctorate student. Nope. Nope. Which speaks to the point that Jess making here of this is about making some decisions and moving in some ways to grab this thing by the throat and get it dealt with, which you're totally capable of doing. This is not an uncommon insecurity. Yeah. This is not a huge relationship problem. This the this is something we can nip in the bud right now to keep it from becoming a big problem. But you can you can move on with that and we certainly believe in you on doing that. If you have a question for us, say that podcast at gmail.com, the bridge Chicago dot uh, earlier in the episode Lee mentioned a fantastic verse, Matthew twenty eight twenty, where Jesus says, I'm with you always until the end of the world. We actually had the pool house guru make us a Ooh, Bible memorization nice. track on that several years ago. Fancy. So, I'm going to help you that get stuck in your head as you go through your weeks. We're going to take you out with that. Matthew 2820 by the Pool House Guru. Thanks for listening. Just remember, we love you. God loves you. There's nothing you can do about it. The Say That Podcast, coming this Christmas, the resurrection of the monkey evangelist. <laughs> get me out of this devil car. I've got a dino disappearing sermon to preach. Wow. I'm with you always. With you always. I'm with you always. To the end of the world. I'm with you you all.
always to the very end of the age.